Welcome, musicians, one and all. In today's episode, your host, Nicholas Sutton, will be introducing you to the progressive rock band Dream Theater. I'll be joined by guest David Harper. Hello. As we go through the funky sounds and strange time signatures of the band Dream Theater. Well, due to time constraints, I wasn't really able to do like much history, but let's just go into the albums and <laughs> just talk about some of their songs. Yeah. Yeah, so... Images and Words came out in 1992 with their hit song, Pull Me Under. What did you think about that? I thought it was really interesting, especially as a way to first get into Dream Theater. Um, It starts out with this sort of soft chorus guitar sound. Um, A chorus effect, if you're not familiar with that, is where you sort of slightly detune the guitar sound and play it at the same time as the original guitar sound. And it sounds like when people sing together, it it sounds like that sort of chorus effect. but then quickly the synths come in and there's this driving drum rhythm and uh, this sort of simple descending four chord minor loop. Um, and it, it gives sort of a really cool atmosphere. But then the distortion comes in and it really changes the feel. Um, and that sort of, it sort of starts to get into what I have found Dream Theater to really be, which is this sort of frantic metal feel. And then at the end of the epic guitar solos come in. And uh, yeah, I'd say as an introduction to Dream Theater, this was really great, and I enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, and then like two years later, Awake came out in 1994 with Erotomania, which is uh, the belief that someone of a higher class is in love with you, and The Mirror. What did you think about both of them? So Erotomania, I love this sort of sound it started out with. It dives into this guitar riff, which was um, reminiscent of Metallica uh, to me. You can definitely hear their influences. Um, and then the next Dream Theater staple was there was these awesome time signature changes. It led to a feeling of, of spiraling and sort of helplessness as it switched between uh, bars of five and bars of three. Um, quickly, the killer guitar solos came out. They were melodic and they were fast, and I, I really enjoyed listening to that. This was instrumental, if I if I remember correctly, but it changed feels a lot. Um, it never really let you get used to what was happening. It, it quickly dove into a different instrumentation or a different arrangement. Um, the guitar playing itself, I could hear a lot of different, uh, very interesting influences. It sort of went kind of 80s rock anthem for a little bit, and then um, there was some playing reminiscent of the great prog rock guitarist Eric Johnson for a little bit. I thought that was really awesome. And then the, sh- the shuffle feel kind of came out of nowhere. And I remember yeah. we both laughed at that <laughs> when that happened. Um, yeah. And then it sort of went back to the brooding and then it went back to the original riff to end it off. Um, and the mirror was, was different, but I, I enjoyed it as well. It kind of started to have this sound that people today call um, gent, this sort mm-hmm. of like hard chord hit on the low parts of the guitar, the low strings. Um, it sort of went into this weird time breakdown thing after that with, with synth string sounds. Um, and then it sort of went sort of like boss battle video game mode out, out of nowhere, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, sort of... Yeah, the instrumentation, again, was hard to pin down. It was switching a lot. Um, sometimes it was a little bit silly or video game-like. And I was kind of wondering if the lyrics that they were singing had that much of a message. But it pulled me back in with the gorgeous harmony and this sort of 80s piano sound and, and just so many instrumental, instrumental switches. And um, 
Yeah, the the ending was a bit was a bit abrupt, but I I did enjoy listening to it. Yeah. And then, like three years later, Falling t- into Infinity came out with Burning My Soul, which led to the next song, song Hell's Kitchen. What did you think about both of those? Oh yeah. Burning My Soul Soul was really cool to listen to. It had an interesting rhythmic feel, and the instrumentation in this one, it built up from the beginning. It started out with um, bass, and then drums, and then organ and guitar entered, and then vocals. And the the organ um, sound in rock is, to me, a little reminiscent of of Kansas, the band, if if you know them at all. And um, when the vocals came in, it reminded me of um, Led Zeppelin, their lead singer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I noticed that every every time the main singer started singing, I, it kind of reminded me of that. Honestly, to me, it kind of reminded me of like Motley Crue. Hmm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. I wrote down some lyrics here that I thought were funny. I see green. You tell me it's red. Keep your th- keep your thoughts and ideas inside of your head. <laughs> I couldn't tell if that was a cool lyric or a silly one, but I. Yeah, <laughs> it stood out to me. Um, there's that yeah, like uh, some more epic guitar solos. That's what I that's what I write down when I hear them because I really enjoy them. Um, it was a way like personally, I was listening to it and I didn't. It's a way that I don't even know how you play. Um, yeah, yeah, it was really 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 cool to listen to. Um, there was less instrumental variety in Burning My Soul, but uh, it. it it sounded to me more like a song, like it had verse, it had, like it had verse and chorus structure and it wasn't, yeah, yeah, it wasn't just constantly switching all these feels. Um, but yeah, that, that to me is how you make something memorable is you try and make something that people can understand with easily. Of course. Um, Hell's Kitchen had a really pretty sound, uh, but I thought that there were a few times when it should have just let itself follow the the cliches that people find in music it i think it i think dream theater a lot of their songs try and be really unique um and in doing so they kind of end up being less memorable but i did enjoy it and i liked how the guitar took the lead on this one and there was some there was some harmony in in hell's kitchen that i thought almost sounded like movie scoring like you wouldn't really hear it in a pop song or a rock song it was really unique it had more time switching alternating between four and three it was really epic i thought it was a good song yeah uh, two years later, Metropolis Part Two: Scenes from a Memory came out. Uh, let's hear your take on Scene Two, Part One, Overture, nineteen twenty-eight, and Scene Seven, Part One, The Dance of Eternity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Scene Two, Part One, starts out with a kind of fast, almost snare beat or something mm-hmm. like that to me. Yeah, it sounded kind of march-like, and there was a guitar riff that reminded me of um, Erotomania. At the beginning, at this point, I started to kind of get a good pin on what the dream theater sound was, and, and things started to sound uh, almost repetitive. I'll, I'll say that, but th- that's the thing: is they're if they're a band and they have a specific sound, and that's what they make. Um, yeah, it, it had cool guitar tones, almost synth-like tones, which I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for just cool sounds, so I did enjoy that. Um, Let's see. Yeah, I think I personally am a fan of long solos because I think they let you hear the personality of of the person playing. Um, I think that these songs just sort of had a lot of really quick uh, riffs, riff type solos. And and I am a fan of when you sort of let the song breathe and I don't change things up too fast. Mm -hmm. 
but I did, uh, I did think it was really unique. It was really a, a creative um, song. Yeah. Mm. Scene seven, the dance of eternity. Mm -hmm. This one was very video gamey to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was the this was actually the first Dream Theater song um, I ever heard, and yeah, it had changing harmonies, wonky beats, heavy synth. Um, the piano comes in sort of out of nowhere, and I'll be honest, it reminded me of have you ever seen those Muse score videos? Oh yeah, yeah, where people just sort of <laughs> people just write these like crazy things, and they're like, my arrangement of you know Mario theme, except it made me fail music class, yeah, and me drop out of college. Um, <laughs> But it, I thought it was really cool. And, and I guess I, I did sort of wonder, like, what's the message other than, like, maybe I'm playing Mario Kart? Like, out of nowhere, the ra this sort of ragtime feel mm -hmm. happened really quickly. And, like, it's so cool, but also it's, like, 10 seconds long. And I wonder, like, who thought? Who thought this goes here? <laughs> who thought this is where the ragtime happens? Yeah. Um, mm, yeah. And, and I think something I started to think about at this point is I like to judge songs based on their danceability. Yeah. Like, would you dance to it? And this is a song called The Dance. And I don't think you'd be able to physically dance to yeah. this song. But if you're capable of it, you'd probably really enjoy doing that because it would be crazy. Lots of different time signatures. And stuff. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, like, four years later, uh, The Train of Thought came out in 2003. What'd you think of uh, Endless Sacrifice from that album? Oh, yeah. Endless Sacrifice. The real Endless Sacrifice was <laughs> listening to this song. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, this one had a lot of interesting uh, different sounds and different instrument type sounds. Had um, sort of a double acoustic electric solo thing in the beginning. Um, okay, I was really mean on this one. I wrote lyrics suck. <laughs> <laughs> Which they don't. They don't. Um, I just didn't really listen to most of the lyrics. Yeah. Um, I did think, yeah, okay, here, second line, I write, okay, it's kind of cool. Because they <laughs> sort of started to hook me. Um, the genre changes are just, like, that's what Dream Theater is. They, it happens so often. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and it, yeah, this is similar to the dancing thing. I sort of started to think about, like, when would you listen to Dream Theater? Like, sometimes people listen to classical music or jazz, and they think it's music that you just sort of sit and listen very specifically to. Or, like, pop music, people think, oh, this is music you put on while you're doing something else. Yeah. But, um, really, you know, music's music, and you can listen to it whenever you want. And I think Dream Theater is interesting because it doesn't try and be, like, purely creative, um, or, like, you can't just enjoy listening to it. I think it's kind of both. Yeah. Um, let's see. What do I actually have to say about Emma's sacrifice? <laughs> oh, okay. Cool moment. There was this part towards the end where it's like this, the like Britney Spears toxic riff, but it's like played on 10 different instruments cycling. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you, may, you pointed out very aptly that it was like playing something on the piano and cycling through with the arrows, with the arrow keys cycling through the um, instruments on the piano. Yeah. And then there was a crazy, really long guitar solo at the end, which I very much enjoyed. And more um, sort of Led Zeppelin-y, Motley Crue-type vocal sounds. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I do, I do enjoy that sort of dream theater um, uh, vocal rock song-type sound when they go for it. I, and, and The Sacrifice was a good example of that. Yeah. Oh, and there were a ton of drums at the end, too. Yes, yeah. there was. Dude, wow. <laughs> uh, 
two years later, in 2005, Octavarium was released, and their song, Panic Attack. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> the first thing I wrote was Beyond Frantic. It was not, it's not the kind of song you put on to take a nap, unless uh, frantic music helps you nap. It had fast 5-4 in the beginning, and 5-4, um, if you're not familiar with it, is, is a very, it's kind of a rare time signature. I mean, among weird ones, it's pretty common, <clears throat> but you typically don't write a pop song in five. Um, let's see. Yeah, it, then it, it sort of went into this big operatic voice sound. It sounded like a, a big choir. And um, let's see. I tried to write down some lyrics here, if I, can remember, if I can read these. Why do I feel so numb? Is it something to do with where I come from? Now that is a very meaningful lyric. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I'm not being sarcastic. I do think that's good. Uh, let's see. It, I think that that dream theater around, if you're if we're talking about like production, it doesn't sound like a bunch of people in a garage and they recorded it. Like it sounds very clean mm-hmm. and very produced, which is a, which is a nice sound. Um, I think some people, like if you're someone who likes to listen to and collect like vinyl, like old you know jazz recordings or something, you might not like that kind of produced sound, but it definitely is 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 cool and enjoyable to listen to. I think. Um, Oh, there was a guitar solo, and I wrote, it sounds like trying to catch a ghost in a vacuum. Like, <laughs> it, it was very, and I don't mean that in a bad way, I mean that in a good way. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. Um, I think sometimes the guitar solos have echoes of other um, kind of prog rock groups in a way that is very uh, uh, kind of cool, if, if, you, if you get it. Like, there are some points where I thought it kind of reminded me of, like, Leonard Skinner or um, other sort of southern rock things like that um let's see yeah this was this was the point where it's like we i had been listening to so much dream theater and then this one got like the most frantic and i was like okay i'm getting the full experience of what (laughs) this is yeah and going back to what you said about like how it sounded like so clean and crisp Mm. um i i said this a few days ago when i when i showed him the dance of eternity that uh it almost sounded like in music. Yeah. Like, yeah, like when when you have like MIDI or MIDI files and you just bring that to life and how mm-hmm. it sounds so like real but not at the same time. It is. It's like if you performed a MIDI file. Yeah, so. yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, two years later, uh, Systematic Chaos came out with The Dark Eternal Night. What'd you think? Mm, the Dark Eternal Night has this interesting thing in the beginning where the melody is, is almost doubled on guitar and kick drum. Everything that the guitar plays is the rhythmically doubled on a kick drum, which is, I think, if you're, if you're into that sort of metal percussion thing, and I am a little bit, I, it's very cool. But also, if you don't like the sound of, like, <laughs> loud drums, it, yeah. I think, yeah, it is, it's, it's heavy, is what I'll say. And... Um, However, the song itself, once it gets to it, is lighter, but it's it's still fast, and it's cool to get more vocals, um, with with background vocals too. But it's definitely that same sort of lead uh, vocal sound, the same singer for sure as before, which I think is cool. I like when when bands you can recognize things like that across across albums or across songs. Um, there's sort of a uh, an almost a clav a clavinet sound. Um, 
once the sort of synth part comes in and a clavinet that's an instrument from like the early 70s i believe which was a type of of keyboard and you really don't hear that a lot anymore so that was kind of fun um and yeah just that sort of classic dream theater sound a lot of a lot of changing genres and, and vibes yeah and yeah in a way that was unique yeah, so moving on to their 2009 album, which is like a cover album, Black Clouds and Silver Linings. It features like lots of, well, actually just five different, uh, five different artists. And they have the special edition, which has like instrumental versions of them. And so the first song uh, is actually a collection of three. Tenement Funster, mm. Flick of the Wrist, and Lily of the Valley by Queen. I love listening to this because I love Queen. I think everyone does. Everyone who knows who knows what they're talking about loves Queen. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, uh, and this had some really pretty moments. Um, and yeah, it, it was cool to hear them sort of give their homage because um, they brought their unique sound and their unique way of, of playing and arranging to some really classic songs. Um, and I thought, what I think was that since the material they were working with was so good, they didn't have to do a ton, but occasionally there were moments where they brought their unique sound to the the song, and I thought it was really cool. Um, Earlier you said it sounded like terrible. <laughs> I did? Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Well, yes, yesterday when I showed you, or when I had you listen to these, yeah. Mm. You're just like... I didn't like the part where it wasn't Queen, but I liked the part when it was. Yeah, okay, I'll say that then. <laughs> I think that they didn't have, they don't have to bring a ton to it because it is Queen. So. <clears throat> yeah. Hmm. Let's see. I'm trying to get it back into my notes here. Yeah, I think there were some times where they sort of did their own thing. And I, I did, I don't think, like, it added more than than Queen already had, but it's like there were times when it had really, really fast technical guitar solos, and I thought that was cool. There were the times where they sort of looped certain parts um, with their sort of this sort of harmony that's common in Dream Theater songs, and I thought that was cool. But I, I mean, I think what I meant to say is that I would not prefer to listen to this versus right. Queen. Yeah. Um, but I think once he got towards the end, let's see, was the last song "Flick of the Wrist." Oh, that was the second one. Second one, okay. Yeah. Well, I think towards towards the end, they started to have this sort of um, vocal accompaniment, and he sort of did his Freddie Mercury impression, and there was that sort of Queen piano sound, and that, that I thought was really cool. But again, I'd rather listen to Queen. Yeah. Yeah. And that last song, Lily of the Valley, was like a minute and a half. Yeah, long. that's yeah. right. I, I said very short, but it had, it had some cool guitar sounds like Queen. Yeah, like overall, that whole... Song was like seven and a half, like eight minutes. Yeah. Then the last song that we have on the list is To Tame a Land, which is a uh, cover from Iron Maiden and their album Peace of Mind, which I actually own the uh, original like year release on vinyl. So I thought that was kind of cool. What was your take? Uh, Let's see. What I love is the song itself. And what I mean by that is the melody, chords, and the lyrics. Um, I think that the arrangement, it was like, it's like Dream Theater's take on, on classic rock songs. So I yeah. thought, I did think it was a little silly and they had like, they had like sitar in yeah. it. And um, 
And it, they, it was driving metal, which makes sense. Iron Maiden is very heavy, but um, it's their own twist on it. And I think that they have they kind of work this like Arabic sound or harmony yeah, yeah, yeah. In, into things occasionally, which don't need that sound. But it's, it's them making it unique. It's them making it their own thing. So I, I thought that was cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast. It's been a pleasure and an honor to be heard and... It's been a pleasure to produce this episode. Uh, thank you, David. Yeah, thank you so much for, for letting me be a part of this. Yeah, so let's recap. We've gone through like the publications of Dream Theater, got a very good t- take of their music by David Harper. And sadly, this is the last episode of Stems and Flags. So this is your host, Nicholas Sutton, signing off for the final time.